My full name is Kenneth James Sunday Neck. I was born on Sunday. <laughs> Most of my childhood I was called Sunday. It was not a, until I was about maybe 13, 14 years that everybody started calling me Ken. Yeah, I'm so privileged to be here. We have been so privileged to spend a month, almost a month, here in Missouri with my wife, Monica. What a blessing it has been. We love you so much. You are an awesome, awesome church. May God bless you so much for the love and the kindness you have shown us. I come from a small, we come from a small country, your typical third world country, not poor, but just mismanaged. So mismanaged. We have so many minerals, we have gold, we have uranium, we have oil, we have timber, we have the, the, the second, it is the biggest freshwater lake in the world, the biggest, second biggest lake in the world. But uh, there's poor fishing regulations and all kinds of weird things. So we have seen it all. Uganda is a small landlocked country located on, on the east and central part of Africa, right at the equator. That's where we are, zero degrees right there. We have a population of roughly 45 million people, of which 84% claim to be Christian. But that's not really the case. <laughs> Some people believe that uh, because their parents are Anglicans or Catholics, therefore they are Christians. Yes, and then we have a, a small percentage of Muslims as well, very liberal, not radical, not radical in any way. Most of them are our relatives. My mother is actually a Muslim. So we have lived peacefully with them for so many years. And then we have a, a smaller percentage of people who are, I think they are called animists. They, they, they worship trees and rivers and caves. And unfortunately, we still have child sacrifice in our country. Because of the high poverty levels, people are sacrificing, are being deceived into sacrificing children, other people's children, sometimes their own children, for the sake of becoming rich. But we thank God for all the work and amazing work that he's doing in my country. I just want to give you a brief uh, history of... Um, um, how Christianity came to be in our country and the revivals we have had in Uganda. It began with the Church Missionary Society who were the first European Anglican missionaries to bring Christianity to Uganda in June 1877. Uganda then was not yet a republic but was divided into kingdoms ruled by traditional kings and chiefs. My great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was called Neck. That's where I get the name Neck from. He was a chief. Christianity was first introduced to a kingdom in Uganda called Buganda, where our capital city, Kampala, currently um, is. And then it slowly spread to other regions of the country. The Christian religion was received with much excitement by the converts, but it, be, it came with its own requirements. It denounced all the native religious behavior 
and practices as heathen and satanic, which was true. Therefore, joining uh, Christianity meant a commitment to break away from the old lifestyle, make and adopt new alliances, and adjust to new moral and religious standards, adherence and allegiance. The new flock of believers, therefore, were seemingly regarded as rebels who had transferred their loyalty to new religious systems, thus abandoning old tribal traditions. We have so many tribes in my country. I can't tell how many languages we have of tribes, but they're in hundreds. And so you find that by default, many of us know at least five languages because we, we intermarried into different tribes, so we are forced to learn different languages. Although King Mwanga had shown some love for the missionaries as a young prince, King Mwanga was one of the kings of the Buganda kingdom where Kampala now is. Um, his attitude changed when he became king. The once lively and enthusiastic prince in support of the missionaries turned into an intolerant and vicious persecutor of Christians and all foreigners. He felt with good cause that the powers and authority his predecessors had enjoyed were dwindling and had disintegrated under the influence of the missionaries and their converts. The converts had diverted their loyalty to some other authority and their allegiance at all costs could no longer be counted on. For Mwanga, the ultimate humiliation was the insolence he received from the pages or his servants when they resisted his homosexual advances. Yes, <laughs> we did have homosexuals back then. According to all tradition, the king was the center of power and authority, and he could dispense with any life as he felt. Although homosexuality is abhorred among the Ugandans and Baganda, it's unheard of for mere pages to reject the wishes of the king. Right now, homosexuality is illegal in our country, but we don't know how long that will hold on for. But then, uh, the king, some of the kings were practicing it. It is alleged that Mwanga learned and acquired homosexual behavior from the Arabs. Given those conflicting values, Mwanga was determined to rid his kingdom of the new teaching and its followers. Back then, up, and up to now, uh, all the Baganda men and women call the traditional king their husband. Can you imagine? We still have a, a traditional king in Kampala, in Buganda, and they call him husband. So that meant that the king would either uh, go with men or go with women. And it's funny that that's how they still consider him husband. So you see them uh, prostrating. I keep saying prostrating. Prostrating before him, and some of them even worship him. But now he doesn't have any political powers. He's more of a really traditional, symbolic king. In total, 45 young Christian men with ages ranging from 22 to 13 years of age were killed between the 31st of January 1885 to the 27th of January 1887. They were killed by King Mwanga. Also in October 
1885, the Anglican bishop, James Huntington, who was recently dispatched to head the Eastern Equatorial Africa headquarter in Buganda, was also murdered in a neighboring kingdom on his way to Buganda. He claimed that, this king claimed that anyone who entered his kingdom from the east was an enemy. So uh, Bishop Huntington ha- happened to pass through the east to come to Buganda, and he killed him. But I believe he was just trying to get rid of the, all the, the Christianity uh, and, and everything concerning Christians. The kingdom was thrown into turmoil. Muslims fighting Christians and traditionalists plotting against all creeds. Rather than deter the growth of Christianity, the martyrdom of these early believers seemed to have sparked its growth instead. The blood of the martyrs proved to be the seed of faith. There is so much faith in my country. There is so much hope in my country. And unfortunately, a lot of this hope and faith has been taken advantage, advantage of by a very clever people coming in the guise of Christianity, but just confusing everyone. And uh, normally we commemorate the death of the martyrs on the 2nd of June, where we all assemble at specific places. There's this one huge shrine, uh, but, uh, specifically for Catholics, where about 2 million people assemble every year, walking for hundreds of kilometers from different countries, all the way on a pilgrimage to this place called Namugongo in Uganda. So imagine two million people assembling this place. Just remember what happened to these martyrs. And it was, their testimony was amazing. We had uh, testimonies or we read of testimonies of them being hacked to death. Imagine a 13-year-old being hacked to death for his faith. But the Holy Spirit was moving in such a powerful way. A deep revival was happening in that even as they were hacked, some of them were even bundled up in reeds and then burned alive. They were singing. Can you imagine? They were singing as they were killed. This was an amazing testimony. And all these, report, these uh, reports are true. What a great testimony of the beginning of the revival in my country. September 1929 was an all-time low for Dr. Joe Church, a missionary in the tiny East African state of Rwanda, which is right next to Uganda. The country had just experienced the most terrible famine. His fiancée was ill in Britain, and he feared she would not pass fit for service in Africa. And he had just failed his first language examination. Worn out and discouraged, he decided to take a break in Kampala, where I come from. Joe Church stayed with friends on a hill called Namirembe. On a Sunday morning walk, uh, on one Sunday morning, he walked up to uh, the cathedral. Outside, it was an African standing by his motorbike. His name was Simeone in Sivambi. There is something missing in me and the Uganda church. Can you tell what it is? Simeone asked Joe. The two men spent two days studying the Bible and praying together. In a subsequent letter, Home, Joe wrote, There can be nothing to stop a real outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Rwanda now except our own lack of sanctification. Both men were transformed and Joe went back to Gahini in Rwanda, a new person. Immediately, 
conversions began to take place and the Christians started to confess faults and resentments to, uh, to one another. Forgiveness was experienced and broken relationships restored. The East African revival had started. Praise the Lord. From Rwanda, it spread to Uganda and Kenya. Its effects have been more lasting than almost any other revival in history. So that today, there is hardly a single Protestant leader in East Africa who has not been touched by it in some way. It has been such a powerful movement that even up to today, all it takes is for one person to stand up and say, Tukute tendereza yesu Yesu oli mwana wandiga Omusai gunaziza nevaza omulokozi Simply means glory, glory, glory to the Lamb. And every time someone, it doesn't matter where we are, it doesn't matter what function, when someone starts that song, everybody joins in chorus. It was like our new anthem. It is the East African anthem. It is in memory of the revival. And that's what keeps reminding us of what Christ has done and is doing in our country. Hallelujah. Yes. We had this very terrible man called Idi Amin Dada. I don't know how many of of you have heard of him. Idi Amin Dada came into power in 1971 after overthrowing the then second president of Uganda in a military coup. Our first president was the great-great-grandson of King Mwanga, the Madras king, the one who killed all the martyrs. And we got our independence in 1962. We were a British protectorate, and uh, they had governed us from the time of the missionaries. The missionaries opened the door for the explorers, or was it the other way around? I think it was explorers, missionaries. Then they opened a way for the English government to come in and start governing our country. So we got independence in 1962, and then our first president was the king of the, um, Buganda then. And then he was ousted by another president called Milton Obote, who was ousted by Idi Amin Dada. He was a Muslim who violently opposed and persecuted the church and all his political opponents. He even murdered the Archbishop of the Church of Uganda in February 1977. A man who had fearlessly spoken up against Amin's tyranny. Amin also aided and abetted the kidnapping of 106 hostages, of whom the majority were from Israel on an Air France plane. I don't know if any of you have watched the movie or heard the story. This was on the 4th of July 1976. The Israelis mounted an amazing rescue, of which only three hostages were lost in this rescue. Clearly, we saw the hand of God being faithful, God being faithful to his people. 
they mounted an amazing rescue that the Ugandans did not know what happened. Few hours, everything was done. All the guys were rescued. Just a few died. And it was just a sign of God's faithfulness to his people. He came to Uganda and he rescued them. Unfortunately, that is a dark part of our history. And I believe also that we partly paid for being a part of uh, giving the, the, the terrorist sanctuary at our airport. Uganda, from that time on, barely recovered. We have seen civil war after civil war. I can't say for sure that it's because we helped these guys kidnap the Israelis, but who knows. Idi Amin Dada was eventually overthrown in June 1979 after having killed an estimate of 500,000 people, many of them being Christian. Almost every Ugandan lost someone during that time. After Idi Amin, Uganda faced two more civil wars, the final one being in 1986, which ushered in President Yuri Museveni, who has been in power from then to date. He has been ruling for 33 years. 33 years. Most of the children, most of the population in Uganda is 19 and below. That is the majority. So everywhere you go, you're going to find a 19-year-old walking around. That's the majority of people in Uganda. (laughs) And most of them do not know any other president. 32 years and below, (laughs) I've just known one president. He came and he seemed like the savior. He started out well, but um, things have changed. He has rigged so many elections, all the elections. He has managed to rig them. Uh, He has uh, promoted nepotism. All his family members are up at at the top. Um, They get all the oil contracts, the business contracts. Uh, There's only one tribe. He's from a specific tribe, and they they have all the high government offices. And it's just been a sad story. Really, really sad story. When he came into power uh, in 86, we were just young children. And so what happened is that in order for you to declare that you had overthrown the government... You needed to go to the only radio station we had in the middle of town and announce the government has been overthrown. And this radio station was just not too far from where we lived back then. So the final battle was in our compound where we lived. And we lived next to a golf course. And we saw people, soldiers, shooting and killing themselves. The battle went on from from about midday, if I remember properly, to about 5 p.m., when we got out of the house, there were dead bodies everywhere. Imagine children seeing all these things, just dead soldiers. The stench the next day was unbearable, just smelled of death. And somehow everything that we had achieved, the East Afri- African revival, suddenly seemed like it, ne- it had never happened before. And there seemed to be no hope, so we thought. But President Museveni restored religious freedoms from the time he became president, which revamped the the Christian church 
among whom were the Pentecostals, commonly known as the Valokole. We call them the Valokole, or saved ones in Uganda. This was, in a way, a revival of the 1930s East African revival movement of born-again Christians. This movement originally started operating uh, um, in 1960 in Uganda, but was clamped down by Idi Amin, the Pentecostal movement. Unfortunately, this movement, which was started with a pure intent of introducing the loss to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and bringing revival to East Africa has been infiltrated by so many wolves in sheepskin with their name, name it, claim it, false doctrine. This is so rife in Uganda and the whole of Africa. It's just madness. It has become drama. It's just such a, a shame when you see what is happening there. They have enriched themselves by preying on the poor, illiterate, vulnerable, confusing them with their twisted and shallow doctrine and a poor or total lack of proper discipleship. So we have so many saved people in my country. So many. Every third person will claim they are born again. And who's to say? Only God can know their hearts. But the problem is that most of them uh, were products of... Um, there's a mini revival in between 87, 88, after the, uh, the new president took over. The Pentecostals came in. Most of them came in with a, a good plan. And many of us are products of um, that revival that happened then. So many people got saved. But the problem was there wasn't any proper discipleship. They didn't come up with any discipleship programs. So many people were saved, they were overwhelmed. Yet there were just a few missionaries who were coming into the country um, to make converts. But people were still afraid. Uh, they were not sure about um, the, the, the stability of the country. And uh, there's even a, a, um, the government recently, just recently, stopped fighting rebels. We had a lot of rebel activity in the northern part of the country. So, so many people uh, from abroad were afraid to come. So there was a lack, lack of proper discipleship. So what happened? Fake Christians came in with their fake gospel, confusing the masses, and uh, that gospel spread. And right now it has just become some weird thing. We don't understand what is happening. Now, not all of them from the Pentecostal assemblies are, are weird. But the, unfortunately, the majority are just goats in sheepskin. <laughs> of, what is it? Is it correct? Yes. Yes. They're goats in sheepskin. They're masquerading. They're pretending um, to be Christians. And they're just stealing from the masses. We have so many widows. We have um, now a few orphans. We had so many orphans in the 80s and 90s because of AIDS. And civil war. The civil war sent our country 30 years back. So in Africa, we are 30 years behind most Afri African countries. And so these are the people they pray on. They have been praying on them all these years. And they are still trying to take advantage of them. So it is a big issue. I thank God for Calvary Chapel, Kampala, 
The first Calvary Chapel was established in 19, uh, I would say 1996, about. And um, we, I think we were, might have been the second Calvary Chapel, which is in the capital city of Uganda. And uh, our heart is to disciple, to train, to teach the full counsel of God. We are looked at as weird because during our services, we don't carry chairs above our head. We don't fall on the ground and foam at, the, at, <laughs> at our mouths. We don't name it, claim it. We don't preach about uh, money unless we are in that area in the Bible. And they look at us and they think these guys are weird and they have accused us of not being holy, uh, spirit-filled. So we are the mi- minority. But we have seen God's faithfulness. The legacy that was built by the guys the, the Church Missionary Society by the 1930s East African Revival by the uh, missionaries that came in in the mid-80s after the Civil Wars we are a product of that today and we are still standing strong there is a great desire to see change uh, in, the, um, in the Christian walk in as far as doctrine is concerned at Calvary Chapel we have discipled and trained so many young people passionate about teaching the word of God. Apologetics is a big thing in our church. We have an army, so many 19-year-olds, just hungry to go out and teach the word properly. And um, all I can say is that it's not all doom and gloom. (laughs) The country is a wonderful place. Uh, It's beautiful weather, beautiful people. We are extremely friendly. So it is very easy to spread the gospel in Uganda. And what I have seen is that the color of your skin is very fascinating to most of the Africans, especially the ones in the villages. They see a white person and they are intrigued. They will come, the children will come, touch your skin, touch your hairy bodies, you know. They are inquisitive because they have never seen so much hair in their lives. <laughs> like, what is going on? But that, I believe, is a tool. God has used that. Surprisingly, he has used that to open a door for Americans, for the English, for foreigners from all over the world to come and minister to the people in Africa. And they are very receptive because they come, they are curious, and then when you're friendly to them, then they open up. And preaching the gospel is also very easy um, because these people's needs are simple. You build a borehole, a well for them to have clean water, they are sold to you. You give them a piece of soap to do their laundry, they're open to the gospel. You feed them, they open the gospel. Yeah, so my encouragement is come to Africa. They will listen to you. God is doing an amazing work there. He has arranged it in such a way that they will listen to all of you. You just have to come. And I believe me, when you come there, it won't be you teaching them. It will be you learning. Because God will teach you something that is amazing. I cannot describe. I've seen so many missionaries go on short-term missions, come back, and they're depressed. They just want to go back. You know? Because it's fun. But somehow it's also easy. Surely the harvest is ripe in Uganda and Africa. And that's one of my passions is just to spread the good news about our country. One of my passions is to 
one day be able to bring our choir here and our choirs to have an exchange program where we, we shall just worship together because I know that's what's going to happen in heaven. So I just encourage you, come to Africa. You will not be disappointed. Hallelujah. Thank you. May God bless you.